Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, church. Excited to be here with you. My name is Corey, one of the pastors on staff. Good to be your teaching pastor uh, for today as we kick off a new series uh, called the Imago Day. Uh, Before I get to that series, though, let me give you just a a couple uh, quick things to know. First and foremost, we say this every week. uh, Here at Heights Community, we're about three things. Uh, We're about the gospel, we're about community, uh, and we're about mission. And the the reason we say that is because we want to cast that vision, but also the reason we say that is because when someone asks you, hey, what's your, tell me about your church, I want you to be able to go to them and say, oh man, we're about three things. We're about the gospel, that's the story of God, we're about community, that's the people of God, and we're about the mission. We're about the people of God taking that story to folks uh, who do not yet know it. And the primary way that we do that when they say, well, how do you do that? You say, is missional community. And so uh, if you're not yet plugged into uh, what we would call missional communities or MCs, uh, for short, there's a QR code on the back of those chairs. Uh, that QR code is how we update you throughout the week with all the things that are happening in our church. It's more than just the two things we mentioned here. It's also the way that um, folks give their tithes and offerings. And it's also how you will look up uh, how to find a missional community that's close to you uh, in proximity. The goal is that you would be a missional community literally within the community by which uh, you reside. And it's the best way to live uh, on mission. So I want to encourage you uh, to take a, you can take a, uh, put your camera on that QR and then simply click it. It'll take you to everything uh, you need to know. That's the first thing I got for you. The second thing I have for you is uh, I get to announce to you uh, the marriage retreat. Now, if you're, if you, thank you. If you've been here longer than a day, you know I'm not usually the guy that does announcements because I don't do well at sticking to my notes. And so um, I'm also not always the most excitable individual. And so I have to give three adjectives. And so here they go. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. And it's going to be, I quote, picked life-giving with four exclamation points in my notes. And so it is going to be those things, genuinely speaking. There are 77 couples already signed up, which is absolutely unbelievable. You're going to commit. All right, since this is the second service and we have all the time in the world, let me teach you something, okay? If one of you claps, everybody just start clapping. Otherwise, it's like a little golf clap because it's a big room, okay? So if one of you commits, I just need you all to commit. Sound good? All right, thank you. 77 couples are signed up. There you go. <clears throat> I knew you had it in you. I knew it was in there. Deep. Tyler St. Clair, man, my brother from Detroit, Michigan, is going to come. This dude can straight preach the paint off the walls. He's an incredible uh, dude, urban church planter in inner city uh, Detroit. Helps oversee all of our church planning efforts for Acts 29 uh, within the United States as far as they call it uh, church in hard places. He is planted and planting churches in one of the hardest places uh, in America. Phil's called there. He's going to take time away from his kiddos and away from his wifey uh, to come and to share with us. And he's absolutely an unbelievable dude. Uh, Not only that, but then many of you in the room know Paul Fernandes is a a church planner. (laughs) He's doing too much. He's doing too much now. 
Paul Fernandes, the church planter that we sent out, we sent out uh, to Bell Vegas uh, to plant a church, Living Hope uh, Church. His worship team is going to come serve us. Uh, so they're actually going to come and lead worship uh, that weekend for us, which is really a beautiful picture, I think, just of the kingdom uh, as well. And so what I want to share with you then is this. There are many of you in the room, okay? And you're thinking, I don't think I need that. And then about 10 days before the, de- the, the, the event itself, the deadline's like right now, 10 days before the event, you're going to try to RSVP for this thing. And Erin Cranston is not going to get mad at you. She's going to get mad at me, okay? I am married. I have a woman who's regularly and routinely mad at me. I don't need anyone else mad at me, okay? I don't need that. I don't need any more drama in my life. And so if you could, instead of thinking, I just don't think I need that, just know this. Every marriage needs an oil change just like your car does. This is an awesome opportunity to create a rhythm. We're coming out of the coldest, literally darkest time in our seasons for the year. This is a good refresher for you. It's only $100. It's nothing crazy that you can't afford. And if you need some help getting there, let us know. We'll find somebody in an MC that will sponsor you to get you there because your marriage is worth it. 77 couples, and then in that, some singles have said, hey, I want to know more about this. And so even within, with that being said, uh, if you're not married, but you are seriously dating and considering marriage, uh, perhaps you are engaged. Maybe you're just single and you know, like, hey, I think the Lord's calling me to that. I could definitely be equipped in a better way. I want to invite you uh, to come to this. You don't have to just be married uh, to come to the class. But I would prefer that you sign up early uh, so that we can have all the accommodations for you to have a good, fun, uh, relaxing, hopefully relaxing weekend for you. Sound good? All right, cool. Second thing I have, or now third thing, uh, is this. There's a foundations class that I want to invite you to. I'm trying to stick to my notes on this because I want to be really clear about a few things. If you are new to Heights, specifically in the last six months, myself and Tim Gray built this class for you. Okay, and so it is specifically for individuals that have transferred in from other churches. To be clear, hear me say this. Anyone can come. It is going to be a dynamite class. It is going to begin kind of feeling like a classroom, and it's going to end feeling a little bit more like a missional community. We have put it together so it's not just teaching like this, but it's very uh, experiential. You're going to metamorphose kind of into what it feels like to be in an MC over the course of four months. It'll be on a Monday night from 6 o'clock to about 8.30-ish is what we're saying, 8.30-ish, because if you're in an MC and you host You know people don't leave when they're supposed to leave, okay? And so if you giggle, it's because you host an MC, amen? You know what I'm talking about. And so it's 6 to 8.30-ish. Being on mission and in community should disrupt your schedule a little bit. So even the loose end on it is intentional. Everything we try to think through. We took a month to design this class. It's for everyone, but we're specifically inviting in folks that have transferred in, and and even in that, that are not yet in an MC or maybe just stepped into one, but not exactly certain what we're aiming for here. We're really transparent about everything as a church. This is one of the things we kind of pride ourselves in. The gospel allows us to just be free to share real things. This is the third time that we've had transfer growth in our church body in the last 10 years. The last time we had it, we had 220 people show up during COVID. Okay, we got to open our doors, preach the gospel. People came, praise the Lord. 140 of those folks that I can tell stuck around, went all in. They're walking out, being a community on mission, and they're slaying it right now in the name of Jesus. That's what I want for this new round of folks that, have been, that are transferring in to our church body. All right, First Peter tells me I'm called to shepherd the flock that has been given to me. Okay? The primary way that we want to make disciples is through missional community. 90% of people at Heights have came in that way. Now, God has sent sheep 
in a different, by a different avenue, still worth shepherding the flock that's among me, yeah? This is my, I'm trying to do that right now. This is me trying to be obedient to God's word, looking at the body that God's given and saying, okay, how do we best steward the folks that are coming in? I have no doubt in my mind, listen to, I mean, I believe this to my core, church, that God has sent us a remnant of faithful women and faithful men. Like everyone that I have personally met, they were at their church for seven years, 10 years, 20 years, 35 years. Y'all weren't out speed dating the bride of Christ, right? I haven't met anyone. It's like, oh, six weeks, seven weeks, 12 weeks. Like, no, committed relationship. What I know, though, is you don't leave a committed relationship and not bring a little bit of baggage with you. There's a reason you left, okay? The things that you find attractive about Heights community, gospel, community, mission, are at risk if you don't also dive in as those who have come before you. Okay, so I'm trying to create an opportunity for you to come with all your baggage. We'll take you and all the bags, but you gotta be willing to crack the seal in the suitcase. Otherwise, in six months from now, you'll end up somewhere else and you'll say, Pastor Corey didn't shepherd me well. The leaders there didn't care much about me. They didn't give me an invitation. This is that invitation for you, okay? I mean that with all grace and with all mercy, but listen, if you don't unpack the bag, you're not gonna stay. Right? We don't want to Airbnb the church. She's the bride of Christ, and she's worth our lives. Yes? All right. That's the thing I got for you. That'll be on Monday nights, I believe February 26th, 27th, whatever that Monday is, from 6 to 8.30-ish. Uh, primarily Tim Gray teaching it, although I'll be popping in as there's a few things that I want to be saying. I want the opportunity to get to pastor you uh, and shepherd you over those course of those four weeks uh, as well. Tim Gray has been with me since the very beginning. He has spoke more into our church um, it's him and two other men, but I'll say he has spoke more into the life of Heights community than anyone else in my life, uh, next to Justin, um, Dean, and then uh, Steve Mizo. And so, all I say, I want you to come. This is a personal invitation. Are you tracking? Okay. I'm going to personally invite some of you this week. I have a whole list of names. Uh, last thing I got about that, I want to share this just for the record. I'm not inviting you this to try to sign you up for leadership. Okay. Uh, it will be an avenue by which that happens. But anyone who's ever transferred into Heights community that was in a position of leadership at a previous church has to take a mandatory six-month sabbatical. Not six-week, six-month. Because we care more about your soul than your potential to lead. Like you've been, I work for a church. So I'm speaking out of experience. Sometimes we can get it twisted. Our role with the church and our role is just being sons and daughters for the king. So I want you to rest. I want you to hear the gospel. I want to watch it change and invigorate you to storm the gates of hell with the passion of Christ. That's what I want, okay? I think that's pretty clear, yeah? All right, all that to say, let's see if we can't get ourselves into some trouble. So um, Mosaic Pregnancy Center is here. Thank you so much. Blythe, for coming. Please come join me on stage. As you all know, we did a, a big a year-end offering, big for us anyway. Every year we take a year-end offering. Uh, we try to raise uh, in one month the uh, total amount of kind of tithes and offerings that come into the church. This is about $35,000 a month at that time. It's, it's more now, so hopefully this year will be even greater. Um, but we, we had a goal of $35,000, if I'm not mistaken, uh, similar to how you will approach the marriage retreat. Uh, we didn't think we were going to meet it because not everyone gave until the last 24 hours of that thing. And then we came in above and beyond uh, as we do every year. I thought, this must be the year, Lord. Okay, this is the year. It's still a lot of money, but it's not what we prayerfully sought. And so God provided. And so thank you so much for all of your hard, laborious work for the kingdom and what you do. Uh, if you don't mind just introducing yourself, what you do, and thank you.
He thinks I'm really short, I guess. He did this last time too. Thank you all so much for this. This is such an amazing gift to us. Um, we just love you all. Our relationship with you all has been amazing throughout these past couple years, and we just appreciate you so, mu so much. My name is Blythe Poston. I'm the communications director for Mosaic Health. In case you are unfamiliar with us, we are a Christ-centered, life-affirming medical center that reaches men and women who are seeking pregnancy and health services. And we do that by offering free services. We offer ultrasounds, STI testing and treatment, pregnancy testing, uh, childbirth and parenting classes. We offer the abortion pill reversal treatment. Yes, you can actually reverse the effects of the abortion pill. We offer a class specifically designed for women who have had previous abortions and who are really seeking to find hope and healing and redemption and forgiveness through Jesus. But most importantly, we are sharing the gospel with the men and the women who are coming through our doors. We do that at a couple of different locations. One is in Granite City. One is in Fairview Heights. Those are strategically placed close to the local abortion facilities. We also have a mobile medical unit that is parked right next to Planned Parenthood in Fairview Heights, serving as the last line of defense for those precious babies. Now, this is January. This is known as the Sanctity of Human Life Month. It's the very first Sanctity of Human Life Month and the very first January in 50 years that we can celebrate that abortion is no longer the law of the land thanks to the overturn of Roe versus Wade. It's been reported that almost 10,000 lives nationwide have been saved thanks to that overturn. So we're, we are praising God for that, and we can't wait to see how that you know, continues in the next few years. Unfortunately, though, what that has done to Illinois is it has made us an abortion island because the surrounding states all have restrictions on abortions, and we have none, which means that people in Illinois, women in Illinois, can have an abortion up till birth for any reason. And so we have seen thousands and thousands of women crossing state lines, flocking to Illinois to seek their abortions. Now, for Mosaic, what that has meant is that we have seen an over 65% increase in the women considering abortion. It might sound like bad news, but it's actually good news because that means they're finding us before they're finding those local abortion facilities. The other good news is that we saw 41 men and women come to know Jesus as their Savior through our ministry last year. So we praise God for that. And finally, we saw 184 babies born through those mamas that came through our doors as well. So. Now, if all of that or any of that <laughs> sounds like good news to you, we would love for you to become involved in our ministry. So we have basically three opportunities right now. One is a volunteer opportunity. We're actually having an orientation to learn about what we do and who we are and all the different volunteer um, positions that we have. We're having it at this church starting in April. And so if you want to sign up for that, you can go to our website, supportmosaic.org. We also have three positions, staff positions open up, one of them being a full-time nurse who will serve on board our mobile medical unit. So if that, if you or someone you know is a nurse, please let them know about us. We also have a couple other positions as well. And then finally, I noticed you all have the baby bottles here. Thank you so much for taking those. And um, all you have to do is take one of those, bring it back to the church after you have filled it with coins, cash, checks, um, anything like that. And then that really helps us serve women 
hundreds and hundreds of women this next coming year. So thank you so much again for your heart, for our ministry, for what we're doing. We really do appreciate you all. Thank you. If you guys could stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, Miss Katie Wiggins is going to lead us. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Good morning. We are going to read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Yes, take a seat. Let me uh, pray for us before we dive into this. Father in heaven, we come to you first, God, to give you all praise and adoration. As I said in the last gathering, Lord, that you don't need us uh, to do this. Uh, And even in our feeble attempt uh, to worship you, God, you're pleased because you see Christ in us. So it's not just that we come and have some sermon, have some service, sing some songs, Lord, but it's that we were dead apart from you and Christ has brought us new life. And when you look upon your sons and daughters, you look at us through a lens of his work first. And in that, God, we, it's hard to fathom what that means, but it's true because your word says so. Our, our union is in Christ, as David said last week. And so, God, we pray that, that, it, that as we come to worship you, as I, in my feeble attempt to preach your word today, Lord, that, God, that you would be honored as you stand among an angelic host and as saints all around the globe are giving you praise and honor that you might notice our attempt today as well. I also want to pray um, in light of abortion, Lord. Um, we, we do have a clear stance as a church body here. As elders, at minimum, a majority of the church body would stand with us in the same. And so God, I want to, we never want to come at this like, without also understanding the story it takes for one to enter into a clinic, both man and woman. God, I've never felt trepidation that has led me to do something like that. I've never felt a fear that has led me to do something such as that. I, God, I don't, I don't know what it feels like to, I don't really know what it feels like to feel alone in the world uh, prior to making a decision or post-making a decision. And so God, as we, Come into your word and look at the Imago Day. We want to stand firm on the word of God. But God, we also ask, I specifically ask that as I get into this, that the words that I use, the attitude, the ethos that I have up on stage, God, would be that of compassion, of grace, of mercy, that I would be, I mean, unapologetic about your word, but you speak truth and love. And so, God, I want to be able to do that as we talk about all forms of a disarray that comes from a distorted view of the Imago Dei. And so we just pray for women and men alike in the room. I met with a man this week that took his girlfriend into a clinic. And so, God, I, 
I don't know what that's like. I'm not going to act like I do. Um, but you do, and your spirit most certainly does. You are the comforter, the text says. And so, God, I pray that you would bring comfort today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen uh, and amen. And so we're kicking off a series that I hope to do last year called the Imago Day. And so we got kind of uh, busy with getting into this building and some other things. And so we didn't get to do this series last year, but uh, I still found it necessary that we get into this uh, series. The elders agreed that this is a teaching series that we should uh, definitely uh, do. And so I think it's, as I met Blythe earlier, um, I told her, I told her two things. First, I told her that my wife was a nurse as I explained the chaos of my morning this morning, to which she goes, oh, I had no idea they had a job opening, and so now I get it. I believe she's left, so I don't get to tell her she's also a neonatal nurse practitioner that uh, specializes in labor and delivery. So she missed out on all that info, but, um, <laughs> but she would serve them well. Uh, the second thing I said was, there's not a more fitting Sunday for you to come uh, as we launch this series. We didn't plan it that way, but in God's sovereignty, that is the way that it has worked itself out. And so I'm going to start us off a little heavy. We'll hit some humor in there. I'll take you through the text, and then I'll point you to Jesus. But one of the root causes for abortion, at the core of it, is a failure to understand and submit to the Imago Dei. Right? And so if you're like, well, what is the Imago Dei? The Imago Dei means in the image of God or made in the image of God. And the Imago Dei says that all of humanity has been created equally in the image of God, created equally in the likeness of of God to reflect God's image to the cosmos, not to reflect our own image uh, to the cosmos. That humanity has been created to glorify God in all that they do, and that humanity has been created then to do kind of three things. I'm going to share all this again later, but to maintain dominion. Uh, when you say that, it means to steward creation um, as the heads of creation, kind of those who are sovereign over creation, which leads to, we're called to um, subdue and fill the earth. That we're actually called to enter into culture. We're not called to be separatist in the church, but to enter into culture, to sit across the table from people who think differently than us and have a different worldview than us, have a different political ideology than we might have. That's actually what it means to live on mission. It's not to be an echo chamber with a bunch of people that look the same and sound the same and smell the same. That's not the church. That's not how mission works. Right, we're called to get uncomfortable, to actually pursue folks that are different. And we're called to be fruitful and multiply. And as we get in this, we're going to see that Genesis 3 has affected much of this. The way we maintain dominion, the way we subdue the earth, the way that we get to be fruitful and multiply. Right? There's many in the room that cannot be fruitful and multiply, yet it is your desire. Well, why is that? Well, if I had to guess, you should have a lot of questions today as we enter into the Imago Day. You should have questions like, where does racism come from? Where does poverty come from? Why, do you, why is there so much strife in our culture? Why can't I conceive? Why would you say don't have an abortion? Why does abortion even, abortion even exist? Like, there's a lot of questions to come, and the answers are found there in Genesis 3. And so Genesis 3 says, Adam and Eve wanted the kingdom of God, but they wanted the kingdom apart from the king. And so Adam and Eve, they had everything that they could ever have. Genesis 1 and 2, everything is perfect. There's peace, there's balance, there's shalom. It's perfect relationship in every single way. But the moment Adam and Eve chose themselves over God, they chose to worship creation instead of worshiping the creator. And in that moment, all literal hell broke loose on earth. Every single relationship that you could ever imagine is now fractured and distorted. And that begins to then answer the questions for why do these things happen in the world. Now, what God does not do in that moment 
And the church can learn a lot from God's response in this moment. What God doesn't do, he doesn't come in heavy-handed and beat them to death because they now have a different worldview and a different ideology and because they're ridden with sin. Rather, as a good father, and we'll get to this in Genesis 3, pursues them. And he says, in short, you aim to cross me. Well, now what am I going to do? Am I out of options? No, he says, you aim to cross me. And for those who aim to cross the Lord, he offers them the cross of Christ. Redemption, holiness, righteousness has been given to them, not by their own work, but by Jesus. And in that, the church can learn a lot. As we sit across the table from people that are different than us, there's no need to come in bigoted. There's no need to come in simple-minded, but rather we can sit and listen, and then we can be unapologetic about the word of God, yes? Much of the sins committed against people, both born and unborn, are due to a failure to submit to and believe the Imago Dei, that all of humanity is created equally in the image of God. So think about some of this with me. When you think about abortion, right, humanity tries to choose when life begins, even though science is very clear as to when Life begins, and the Bible is very clear as to when life begins. And just for the record, like here at Heights, the leaders of Heights aren't scared of science. Right? Anytime science comes in and supports God's word, we say yes and amen. Right? Now, it doesn't make the situation easier. You with me? You with me? It doesn't make communicating the information any easier for folks that maybe disagree or people who are in a season of difficulty. We recognize that as well, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. You still with me? But we still are unapologetic about the things that we do believe. The reason humanity tries to determine when life begins is because they want the kingdom of God without the king. They aim to be the king. The reason in our culture that folks are trying to redesign or redefine gender, as we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks, is because they want the kingdom of God without the king. They want inclusivity of the king and of the kingdom, but they're trying to do it apart from, they're trying to exclude Jesus, who's the most inviting and accepting person, being God that has ever lived. There's no one more inclusive than Jesus. You got some people, listen to me, you got some people in your mind right now, you're like, that dude ain't making it in. That cat right there, he ain't making it in the kingdom. And God in Christ says, as sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He's far more gracious and merciful than we could ever be. Amen? Amen. Think about racism. It's an Imago Dei issue at the core of it. It's an Imago Dei issue. Right? Someone who's looked at a race, doesn't matter the race, but they've said, we're superior, you're inferior. That is an Imago Dei issue. That's aiming to rob someone of their equality. It's aiming to rob someone of their dignity, rob someone of their value. And in so doing, it robs God of his glory. Right, the, the beauty of the gospel in the Imago Dei is it allows us to enter into and engage culture and all the cultural diversities that exist. And in doing so, it actually reveals a beautiful God. One that, if I may quote, every knee will bow and every, or every head will bow and every knee will bend under the name of Jesus. That is every tribe, every language, every nation from every corner of the earth. It is an effect an Imago Dei issue to look down upon someone because of anything in and of themselves. We are equally made in the image of God. And as Pastor Jeff said earlier, we're then equally in need of his grace and mercy because of Genesis 3. The Imago Dei frees us to delight in the diverse expressions of the world. Now, also, when you talk about the Imago Dei, if you mention race, people in their hearts immediately go, what about police? What about veterans? What about this? What about that? At the end of the day, still created equally in the image of God. 
Like we have many police officers that go to my church who I love, who I know, who I get to share life with. They're put in incredibly intense and difficult situations. Yes and amen. Why? Because at the core, something has happened in the Imago Dei that has had them, led them there to have to be agents of redemption. You talk about our veterans, what do you want to, where do you want to start? You want to start with them dying in the waiting room while they're waiting to be treated? Because at the end of the day, you want to talk about them being thrown out on the street because they can't get the medication properly to get their psyche back together? Do you want to talk about the heinous things that they've had to see overseas that leaves their minds in some ways still there and while their body's at home? At the end of the day, those are root causes. They are rooted in the Imago Dei. You still tracking? We can go on and on and on and on, yes? When you aim to create a kingdom experience that only Jesus can offer, you aim to have God's kingdom without God. So the big idea then for today is this. You cannot have the kingdom apart from the king. You cannot have the kingdom apart from the king. Humanity, whether they want to admit it or not, are always desiring a greater kingdom. The problem is a secular culture across the board will never pursue this king. Instead, they're going to hear about this king and they're going to go, but I think I can do a better job. And that's no different than our original parents and what led to original sin in Genesis 3. So the three points that I have for you. I'm going to do my best here. I cut out about seven pages in the first service to get us here, okay? I jokingly said we might have breakfast together, but we might legit have some dinner together tonight. There are three points I have. It's not easy. I'm going to preach it as bold and confident as I can. It does not mean I feel comfortable, okay? So as you're sitting there, even pray for me today. It is uncomfortable, but it is necessary. Created for community. First point, if you're a note taker, if you're online, created for community. Put that out there for folks to see. Uh, created for mission. You are created for mission. See how they go together. Missional community. It's on purpose. It's woven into the Imago Dei. And then created for, I'm going to get to recreation. Recreation. Created for recreation. Not just recreation, because of Genesis 3. Some of y'all spend a little bit too much time in recreation. Okay? Need some recreation up in here. Yeah? Recreation. Created for community. If you're ready, say ready. ready. Let's hit it. Genesis 2.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. Here's the deal, dude. This is absolutely unbelievable. Okay, I said this in the first service and they were like still asleep or whatever, but it literally is, okay? So I'm gonna start by pointing out something here that is literally, church, miraculous, okay? And so if we were to read through Genesis 1 and 2, from the beginning to where we're at now, we don't have time to do, but we would read, and God said, and God said, and God said, create this, and God said this, and God said, split the heavens, and God said, let there be light, and God said, and so it's going to go on and on. But then we get here to Genesis 2, verse 26, and it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is an unbelievable statement. Like, it's literally unfathomable that it has stood the test of time. And here's why. Moses uh, wrote Genesis. Moses is a Jew, okay? Uh, Moses did not believe in multiple gods. The word for that is polytheistic. Uh, the Jews were what's called what? Monotheistic. Come on now, let's go. Get up here. You need a microphone? The Jews were monotheistic. That's right. That means that they believed in one God. So stay with me. So for Moses, as a Jew monotheistic, believes in one God, to write, let us make man in our image. That was cray-cray. That didn't make any sense. 
at all. For him to write that and for that to stand the, the test of time, not for just a generation, but for 3,500 years for him to write about God in the plural, like as a plurality within the Godhead, as a Trinitarian God, for this one line, listen to me, for this one line to be preserved by the Jews. Remember, that came before Christianity. For this one line to be preserved by the Jews and remained unchanged for over 3,500 years across multiple translations, across multiple errors in time and space, that's a miracle. And so if you have a question, like, and you should, I would say you should always question things. How do you know I can trust the Bible, Pastor? Isn't the Bible outdated? Wasn't the Bible written by man alone? I would say if the Bible is, in fact, untrustworthy, or if it is, in fact, outdated, or if it were solely written by man and not in concert with the Holy Spirit, that line wouldn't exist. It would not exist, church. It does not make sense. It's completely illogical in light of what they believed to talk about God in the plurality. You with me? Okay, like six of you are still, I knew it. I said in the first, I was like, you know what? I'm a geek out about this. You know what? I'm just gonna be true to who I am up here. Somebody's gotta be excited about the word of God, okay? And it should be me. If it's gonna be anybody, let it be Corey. All right. And yet, okay, you have this, this instance here where God has preserved, this is incredible, his unchanging word. Now, you can ask, what does it have to do with community? To which I would say, literally everything. Everything. What we get in this moment, man, was we get to kind of enter into like the triune God of the universe as he's having like this internal dialogue within himself and he's trying to kind of contemplate what does it look like for me to create people that reflect me to the cosmos. And this is what we get. Let us make man in our image. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit as one having this dialogue. What does that mean? That means God is communal. And if God is communal then, then that means it is for us. We are then built, designed as part of the Imago Dei to be communal, to walk out community whether you like it or not. So if the part on, a, part on abortion didn't offend you, let me push a little bit harder, further here. Introversion then is not an excuse for your failure to pursue community. It's not your identity as a Christian. Christ is your identity as a Christian. And you might say, well, I'm just not really a people person. We know. We know you're not a people person, right? And we still, for the most part, would like to have you with us, right? We get it. You don't have to tell us. It turns the cats out the bag. Everybody knows, okay? We know. I'm not really a people person. Does not fly. There is no such thing as, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Or, I love Jesus, but I don't need his people. That's like saying, I love Jesus, but I don't want his bride. I'll tell you what. You come up here and tell me, Corey, I love you, but I hate your bride. You're going to catch these hands, some unholy hands. I pay to fight people every week, and I enjoy it. Like, it is fun for me, okay? It's what keeps me normal up here with you. That's how I've got the pastor for 10 years is by fighting people on a weekly basis. You could say something like, well, I don't like organized religion. Here's the deal. It's always been organized. You know what happens when you don't have organization? Nothing. That's what happens. Nothing happens. Organic only takes you so far, and then someone's got to be the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain going, you actually got to do this, and you got to do that, and this guy needs to go over here, and this guy needs to work over here. We have a saying in our family. You know what happens when two type B people get together? 
Nothing. It is a miracle that I can raise four kids in my family right now. It is a miracle that Andrew and I can function together somehow, and not even our own biological kids. People are crazy enough to give us their kids, and we have them, and somehow we're managing. Okay, it is a miracle for us. Listen, biblically speaking, theologically speaking, I would say personally speaking, you know this. You have been designed for community. You have been designed to be communal. Now, you have also then been designed in that to both know and to be known by others. And the fear that comes with knowing and also being known still is not enough for you to cease walking out the Imago Dei because it is how God has designed you. This is why God says in Genesis, in fact, it is not okay for man to be alone. It does not mean that man has to be married or a woman has to be married to properly and appropriately walk out the Imago Dei. Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians would actually encourage some of you not to get married, some of you that don't like being around people so much. And, and in that, you would still bear and reflect the Imago Dei in his likeness, in his image. You were created for what? Community. We need one another, whether we like it or not. Genesis 1.27 then continues and it says this. Let's continue to push this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Uh, male and female, uh, he created them. This is, uh, I was going to do this whole thing in the Hebrew and the way that this is written up, but we don't have time today. Hopefully it will come out in the next six weeks. This is written very specifically in the Hebrew to give to us the reality that both male and female existing or coexisting in the world together, in the cosmos together, is actually what best images the Father to the rest of creation. We're going to spend two weeks next week on what does it mean to be, uh, what is biblical masculinity, and then we're going to spend the next week on what is biblical uh, femininity. And so I get to teach that one. Uh, that'll be great. And so, <laughs> just give me, David Seaton's got some jokes, you know what I'm saying? And so... Uh, no, it's going to be great, and it'll be fun. Uh, so we're going to spend two weeks on this, but here's an overlay. Just to be clear, okay, God has created both male and female distinctly, uh, interdependent on one another, to reveal his glory. Okay, this is why we have been created. Male and female have not been created. Humanity has not been created for our own glory. We have been created for his glory, to give him glory, not ourselves. And so let me be clear then, women and men, men and women, Lest I become a soundbite later, let me be abundantly clear. Women and men, men and women, have been created completely equal. Equal dignity, equal value, equal purpose, equal strengths, equal giftings. Listen to me, not the same giftings, right? There's no one in the room that has the exact same giftings as someone else, but you are completely equal, regardless of what the culture has to say. We're not called to have the exact same equal strengths or the exact same equal giftings. There's some things that some of you are better at than I'll ever be. Like, I can't sing to save my life. I can make a joyful noise, right? And sometimes, unfortunately, for Pastor Jeff, my mic is cued right to his ears, whether you can hear me or not. He hears me making a joyful noise up here. And anytime the worship sets off, it's not his fault. It's my fault because I'm in his ear just making a joyful noise to his ears. Okay, I'm sorry, brother, I love you. I'm so sorry. I'm not administratively organized in any stretch, by any, Aaron Cranston can attest. I am not administratively 
organized. I do not handle details well. I have grown, and you can grow in those giftings, to be clear. You can grow in your giftings. That there's some people who are just naturally gifted. Like, for the most part, I'm pretty good with people. Some of you need to stay behind a keyboard. And that's not a jab. That's just the reality of the situation. Like, you are highly detailed. You are type A. You can take in copious amounts of information and then redistribute it in a way that it needs to be redistributed. I personally don't have that. For the most part, I'm world's okayest preacher, okay? I can teach okay. You kind of learn some things when you're here. Some of you would be petrified to be up here, right? And that's not necessarily a gifting thing, but you're like, I'm just not gifted. I just don't have any desire to do that whatsoever. So it could be a gifting thing. could just be a fear. You can grow in that. Hopefully I've grown in my communication over the years. Listen to me. You can grow in your giftings, but we're not all gifted equally. Does that make sense? That does not mean you don't have equal value or equal dignity or equal purpose. It doesn't even mean you don't have equal strengths. It just means we're gifted differently. And I think that that makes sense, theologically speaking, because if we all had the same gifts, there would be no need for anyone else, right? We need to be dependent upon one another. We need to be interdependent upon one another. We need to be able to rely on one another to use your gifts, use your strengths, use your abilities to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. So there might be some things you feel called to do that maybe we have even said, hey, you're not called to do that. Biblically speaking, theologically speaking, and in that you have to ask, are the elders, are the pastors right? Or am I, is it possible that I'm aiming to bring glory to myself instead of to the Father in this moment? I pray that we are right in our rebuttal. I say again, lest I become a soundbite. Women and men, men and women, equally created in God's image. Equal dignity, equal value, equal likeness. Amen? Amen. Created to exist with one another to bring him glory. He did not need us, church. He didn't need us to bring him glory. Trinitarian God brought himself glory. He didn't need us to worship him, church. As a Trinitarian God, he existed in perfect humility and worship within himself, did not need us, but desires us. And so creates us a certain way. The king sets the standard and the expectation for his kingdom, not us. So created to exist together. That's the first point. Second point is this, created for mission. If we're lucky, we'll get to the third point. Created for mission, okay? I want you to see this right out the gate, okay? First point's created for community. Second point, created for mission. These two things go together, okay? This is why we talk so much about missional community. Missional community is not a program that we do. It's not some system that we put into place that you would kind of think is cool and trendy that might assimilate you closer to Jesus. Missional community is not something that you do, church. It's who you are, being in community is not something you do. It's who you are. It's part of your union with Christ. Pastor David preached on it last week. Living on mission is not just something you do. It's who you are. This is why Charles Spurgeon has a famous quote where he says, you are either, as a Christian, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Because mission is who we are. It's what we've been called to do because it is who we are. Genesis 1.28 continues. And God blessed them. Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Okay, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything, living thing that moves on the earth. And so let's start here and lead us to mission. There are a few commands here that exist then in Genesis 1, 28. He calls us specifically as humans equally, both male and female, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the land and to maintain dominion. That means in short, It is us as humans 
who have been called then to be sovereign over all of creation. Now, some of you treat your animals like they're sovereign over creation. They are not, okay? I'm going to offend all the dog lovers in the house. Ready for it? You can paint that little puppy's toenails, okay? You can put your sweater on that little dog. You can put that dog in your little clutch, I believe it's called, and take it to the mall with you, okay? You can put it in some little doggy daycare spa type situation like the Hilton of dog daycares that people do, okay? At the end of the day, that dog ain't maintaining dominion, okay? It's not going to cultivate the land. It might fertilize the land, okay? <laughs> That's a real reality right there. It, it, it might mark, it, might, it cannot maintain dominion, but it, it might mark its territory and try to maintain dominion, its little pea brain puppy mind, but it's just not called to do the same things we have been called to do as image bearers of God, all right? And so let me, just so you know, I'm not as hard-hearted, you know, pastor. I have a, I have a puppy. I have two. Uh, we have a pit bull. We say that's the one to tell you when it's time to go. And we have a labradoodle, and that's the one to welcome you in. And so we keep, we keep them both on hands for their own distinct reasons. They have a picture of my dog, Tank. We call him Tanky for short. He is the cutest. He is far cuter than your dog. He's the best behaved dog I have ever had in my life. He is super docile, very submissive, barely barks. I bring him to work. We call him our emotional support dog. He doesn't need much. He just wants to get fed twice a day, let out twice a day, and put his gigantic 90-pound head on your lap. He's a lap dog. He's incredible. Here's the deal. You got the one of him laying down? Let's show him that one. Mm, come on now. Yeah. You can get your oohs and ahs in, Okay. At the end of the day, though, here's the deal. Tank is not concerned about the glory of God. He's not concerned about climate change. He's not concerned about the things I've mentioned, abortion, racism, uh, poverty, injustice, divorce, sexual sin. Uh, he's not concerned about kids that are overseas that are dying every second because of they have a treatable illness called diarrhea. These are just things Tank does not care about. He's not concerned about. He wants to eat, he wants to sleep, and he wants to go mark his little dominion of the backyard. And that's about it, okay? With hard times, listen, let me further press this point. I think it's effective. If hard times were to fall upon the Johnson family, let's say after this sermon, they finally cut me loose, okay? I've been trying for 10 years. Let's see if today can be the day. So we fall into a hard financial situation because Corey doesn't make all the money that pastors make, okay? And there's no other options out there for me. Who do we cut loose of first? You can say it. Tank. I know it hurts you to your core, dog owners. But here's the deal. I processed through it this week. I had another pastor help me process through this. Do we base the decision of who we uh, let go of first based off who costs us the most amount of money as a family? Because if that's the case, I got a 10-year-old walking around with some Nike dunks on. She's got to go. Okay? <laughs> She's got to go. Okay, do we base the decision of who we got to cut loose uh, based off who brings the most amount of turmoil to me? Because if that's the case, I've got a four-year-old named Kaysen, and that boy's got to go. He's got to go. He's in kids twice today. God love him. Pray for those volunteers back there. Is it the one that brings the most emotional weightiness and turmoil to our family? Because if that's the case, well, then I got an eight-year-old. His name's Josiah, and that boy is just like me, and neither one of us can exist in the house at that point. He's got to go. Like if hard time comes upon our family, who do we pick? Who do we pick? We pick Tank. Why? Because he doesn't bear the image of God. And there's something in us now that is woven into us that we know at the end of the day, something bad happens to the family. Heaven forbid, the house catches on fire. We're not running looking for Tank first. I love that dog. He's a good dog. 
My kids will cry, and then we'll go buy another one, and they'll forget he ever existed, right? Like, that's the reality of the Imago Dei. We're, that's it. There's something woven into us. It's given to us. It says, no, you're called to maintain dominion, and you're called to cultivate the land, and you're called to subdue it, and you're called to be fruitful and multiply as men and women in community. This is the way by which we live on mission, not for our own self-gratification or self-glory, but to the glory of God. That's the privilege that the Lord has given us. He's not given it to anyone else. There's literally no other animal or thing that exists in the cosmos that is concerned about the things that we are concerned about. Likewise, now, whenever Tank gets old, poor Tank, he gets hip dysplasia, starts getting arthritis, he can't walk around. We also don't take him out in the backyard and put around in his head. Right? First off, because it's not St. Jacob, and two... <laughs> Part of maintaining dominion is to show respect to animals, right? For those of you that laughed, it's to show respect to animals. It's to love animals. It's to love creation, to maintain dominion, to cultivate the land, to give dignity to God's creation, not in the same way that we think about humanity, regardless of what Peter would say. He is the first to go. And so we are ambassadors for the Lord. God has designed his kingdom in this way. God created man, created woman in community to live on mission. What does that mean? That means we enter into culture. It doesn't mean we retract ourselves from culture. We rather we enter into it, man, with the gospel in hand, with the word of God in hand. We're unapologetic about it. It means we sit at the table with people that think differently than us and engage culture differently than us and look differently than us and have a different dialect than we do and different skin tone than we do. And we sit there with the Bible in one hand and an ear wide open. And we just listen and we learn and we figure out what is their worldview? What is their perspective? And then we take with God's word and say, okay, now what do I do with that? Now I'm going to filter that, not through my emotion, not through my own experience, not through even my own reason, but through the word of God as a filter and the gospel by which we filter it. We say, okay, give me what you got. And we process through. And if those things do not line up, we simply do not submit to them, yes? But we come at them with a great deal of love and grace, called to maintain dominion, called to cultivate the land, called to subdue, called to be fruitful and to multiply. So why don't these things happen here? If this is the way God designed it, why is it that it does not happen? I gotta sum this up for you for the sake of time. I'm gonna try to flesh it out more over the next six weeks. If you guys could put up for me the four relationships that are broken. Uh, in Genesis 3, okay, Adam and Eve, that's when they rebel against God. They choose creation over themselves. They have everything they could ever want, and they choose to want more. They want more. They want more. And in so doing, church, that's what called original sin ensues. And so the earth is cursed, right? And we know from the scriptures, if we were to read it, he says, if you should choose to rebel against me, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. That is, all aspects of sin will come in. Every relationship you could ever imagine was, is going to be distorted. It's going to be callous. It's going to be affected. It's going to be mutilated in many ways until Christ returns. And so we're just waiting on him to return to get back to the perfection of the garden. Not that it'll look the same, but we want to get back to that perfection. So we know, he says, if you do this, you will surely die. In the moment that Adam and Eve rebel against God as the perfect, loving, just, good father that he is, God has two options. He either sticks to his word and remains just, or he does something else and becomes a liar, which means he's not worth worship. You tracking? There's only two options there. You either tell the truth and stick to your word, or you become a liar and you're not worth worship. 
You're, not, you're no longer righteous in and of yourself. Therefore, you cannot make us righteous and reverse the curse of sin, right? That is how the gospel goes. And so in that moment, as he promised, he says, you will surely die. Now, what God also does not do, he doesn't come in really misogynistic, really bigoted, really simple-minded. He doesn't say, but this is the way that it is. And this is where the church can learn a few things. Rather, as a good father, he pursues them. And he says, those of you, Adam and Eve, who've aimed to cross me, I'm going to offer you something undeniable, something unfathomable. I'm going to offer you the cross of Christ. For every relationship that you have broken, Jesus Christ, my son himself, will restore every single aspect of this relationship for you. Here's what this looks like for you. I'm going to do the best I can in just a couple of minutes here. These are the four relationships that we see broken. When I say man, I just mean humanity in general as a general term. Hopefully that's not too offensive for you. First and foremost, we see relationship with man and God is broken in Genesis 3, where they once walked in the cool of the day and delighted in the Father. They're now hiding from the Father. They're hiding behind fig trees. They're scared of him, not a reverent fear. They're literally terrified that God is coming to them. They're angry. They're scared. They're frustrated. They're fearful. And they understand for the first time in their time of life that they are, in fact, naked. And so they experience shame in that moment before God, there's a relationship with God that has, in fact, been broken. Where Adam and Eve once walked in perfection, now they do not. Let me ask you, church, have you felt the effects of this? You ever felt shame? And we're going to get to that in a minute, but you ever felt like you can't come before the Father? You ever felt like you've outsinned the cross of Jesus? And maybe some of you have sat in that abortion clinic feel like that right now. Maybe some of you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. You can't quite figure out how to identify, experiencing a little dysphoria. Maybe those who are acting upon same sex, maybe those who are ridden with pornography in this moment, you go, but if you really knew what I did, you would know he would never accept me. And yet the gospel tells us something wildly different. We're going to get there. Distorted view of God, there's a distorted view now. Relationship is broken between man and man. What I mean is just humanity in general. Adam and Eve, they had an incredible marriage. It was completely perfect. There was nothing to argue about. The Bible will call that in Hebrew shalom. There was peace. There was balance. Could you imagine? Could you imagine coming home from work and not having to fight? Right? Some of you would be so bored. Well, now what are we going to do? I guess I'll just watch Netflix, right? And so, but that was their life. They had nothing to fight about, nothing to wage war on. No hypotheticals running through their mind before they hit the kitchen, right? They didn't try to figure out how to win the battle before they walked in the door. They just walked in perfection. You ever had relational strife in your life? Marital strife, divorce, separation, anger towards just a coworker. It doesn't have to be marriage related. You can be single in here. You ever had a poor relationship that's fall apart, falling apart? Why does that happen? Because of Genesis 3. It's not because God is not sovereign and is out to get you. He was out to get Christ for you. Right? This comes because of the effects of original sin in Genesis 3. Where does racism come from as we're talking about that today? It comes from this. How could you ever look upon someone where the Bible says is equal dignity and value and say, no, 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 I'm, su- I'm superior to you. You're inferior to me. Does that sound like equal dignity and value? How is it that we can look at people who are impoverished out on the street and our first go-to, and there's some statistical truth to this, but our first go-to is if I give you money, you'll just use it for booze. You can get there, but what happened with starting with, dang, that is a human that is straight struggling with some sort of mental instability and is stuck on the sidewalk right now. Where's the compassion? What happened to the compassion? It was stolen 
in Genesis 3? Why does murder happen? Why does abuse happen? Why does rape happen? Because at the core of it, it's a misunderstanding of the Imago Dei. And I want to hit on pornography, and pornography can be literal pornography that you're looking at, or it could be some form of social media uh, that you're looking at, right? Where does, what leads you to be so attracted to that world, church? It's a misrepresentation and understanding of the Imago Dei, right? You have these men and women who have been, whether you realize it or not, for the most part, the majority of them statistically have been forced into that situation, Either been forced by drug abuse that has forced them into that role where they're given more and more and more needles that leads them. That's the only way they can get their fix is they're fixed in this perpetual cycle of addictive abuse that happens. They're forced in there by literal physical abuse. They're forced in there by literal sexual abuse. They're forced in there because their kids are being threatened. Like they're forced into this world and then professing Christians and others have the audacity to flip open a screen or an iPad and look at them and say, you exist with all of that for my glory. That is to desire the effects of the kingdom while you're trying to be the king. It does not work. And so instead of looking at one with equal dignity and equal value and equal purpose as equally male, equally female in their distinct positions in society and in the world based off God's reality he's given them to bear his image. We go, no, I'm going to create you in my image. You exist for me now. That is in effect what we were doing, what you were doing whenever you look at pornography or perhaps it's not pornography because you want to be self-righteous. You're like, I don't do that, but maybe you use social media to fuel your sexual desires by just swiping left. It is no different. Right? We could talk about many different things, Yes. That in and of itself, man, is a clear picture of the distorted relationship that comes from Genesis 3. It's a problem with the imago Dei at the core of it. That crime is not a victimless crime. I'm going to keep, you know what, I'm going to keep pushing. You guys are being quiet. I'll just keep pushing you. See if we can't make you feel more uncomfortable. The effects, if you do some research on pornography and be careful what you Google, <laughs> the effects of that that it has on children and pedophilia and the sexual abuse of children and the sex trades that come from India that result in millions of men, women, and their kiddos being put in sex trafficking right now will leave you sleepless at night. It comes from a distorted view of the Imago Dei. That's what you're sowing into as you allow the enemy to keep whispering in your ears over and over and over again, did God really say? That's what it gets. Why do kids get seen in that way, in that light? Why is there a need for the foster system as we push fostering and adoption so hard? Why is there a need for a sweet woman to come in and talk about Mosaic Pregnancy Center because of this right here? Distorted view of the Imago Dei. Relationship between man and creation is in fact broken. It says in the text, by thorns and thistles, by the sweat of your brow, you will work. Ladies, by labor pains, you will now deliver for the ladies in the house that have given birth. Have you felt the effects of Genesis 3 and the distorted views that come? In that, yes? There's many of you in the room. What was once pleasant and perfect, if you can imagine that, has now been cursed. Right? Why do you perhaps desire to be fruitful and multiply, and yet you have struggled with your infertility? You know, in our own personal family, we have biological kids, praise the Lord. We've also experienced multiple miscarriages, which then led us to then foster and adopt. It led us to be able to maintain dominion and cultivate the land and be fruitful and multiply in a different way than we initially desired to do. Why does that happen? Should I get mad at God? Should I be mad at him? Like, what's wrong with you, God? I'm doing all the right things. First, he can handle that. Secondly, 
It's not his fault, inevitably. It is the fault of our original parents and original sin. Right? They have brought a distorted reality to the Imago Dei as a whole in regards to reproduction. I could go on and on. Why does the world literally feel like it's tearing itself apart? Why are there tornadoes? Why does the world literally crack itself in half? Why are there landslides? Why does Colorado catch on fire every year? It's not just because it's seasons. It's because creation in and of itself is at war with itself in labor pains. Literally, the Bible says, groaning for the day that Jesus would return and make all things right. Like there's a day coming where those things, as fun as they might be to watch, on Instagram or TikTok are coming to an end because the rule and reign of Christ will be superior and forevermore. We bear the image of God, uh, and yet it's distorted in light of man versus self. So man and self. Adam and Eve once only knew of the grace and mercy of God, and now they only know how to fight for the grace and mercy of God through incredible bouts of shame and fear. Let me ask you in the room, have you ever felt shame? Maybe in some of the things we're talking about today, yeah? You can feel shame, you can feel fear, you can feel as if you need to hide from the Lord by your own man-made, unrighteous fig leaves that we pursue. Maybe it'd be through comparison, at least I'm not doing that, he's mentioning this, I'm not that bad, that's just a religious attempt to put figs on. It's no different than what Adam and Eve did here. The reason that we have any sort of negative emotion is because of this moment. The reason we have distorted body image is because of this. The reason men and women don't feel comfortable in their own skin is because of this. The reason that anxiety exists, depression exists, suicide exists, is because of Genesis 3. Okay? And God, in all his sovereignty, has to allow that to happen. And the only way that it makes any sense that the reason that God would allow that to happen, it doesn't make any sense apart from him saying, I'm going to send my son. Like, there's a very real Jesus. Listen here, I'm going to get to the gospel. There's a very real Jesus, church, that steps into every single aspect of this broken relationship for you, to redeem you. That is the gospel. Before we get there, check this out. Genesis 3, 8 through 11 says this. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord for the first time ever. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, listen to this question. He said, where are you? Listen, this is a question my wife Andrea has taught me to ask a lot of times. Let me ask you it right now. In light of our content today and what the Holy Spirit may be revealing, let me ask you, where are you at? Like, where are you at mentally with this? Where are you at physically? Where are you spiritually? Where are you at? How are you doing? Like, you don't have to answer that out loud, but be real with where you are right now in light of where we're going over the next six weeks, right? And let the Holy Spirit just undo whatever he needs to undo and reveal in you whatever he needs to reveal in you. Let me ask you, where are you? And then he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked for the first time. He understands he's naked. And so he hid himself in shame and embarrassment. Verse 11, he said, God said, listen, who told you that you were naked? Oh, this is my favorite question that I get to ask people in pastoral counseling. Who told you that? I didn't share this in the first service, but like three weeks ago, I was having a really hard mentally. I might have mentioned it in a sermon, but what I didn't mention was the, the kind of the fight that I had with Andrea. 
And in this argument I had with A, I just kept saying, like, I just feel like no one sees me, no one hears me, like, I'm out here crying for help. I feel like I'm yelling at the wall right now, and no one is listening, and no one is hearing. You know what question she hit me with? Who told you that? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, who, how do you know? Who told you no one's listening? How do you, how do you know that? Who have you talked to about this even? And I was like, well, I guess I haven't really talked to anyone about this. As a matter of fact, she's like, well, maybe you should do that. And then I did the next day. Talked with our elders about how I was feeling emotionally. Let me ask you. You're not alone in this. I'm, not al- I'm with you. Who told you that you were irredeemable? Who told you that you could out the cross of Christ? Who told you that you had to go with the status quo because it was just too difficult to submit to the word of God in a, in a culture that puts so much pressure on you as a Christian? Who told you that it would ever be easy? <laughs> I'll tell you who. There's a very real serpent that still slithers on this earth and he tells you all sorts of things that lead you away from the king. And yet we know that the king, as he promises his heel, will in fact crush that serpent's head and it has. And the way that he does it, listen here, put those back up for me if they're not up there. The way that he does it is by sending Jesus. And listen, so Jesus then steps into Every single relationship that has been distorted, Jesus Christ steps into. I'll try to do this quick, but at second service, I ain't going to rush it, okay? I want you to know the gospel. If you leave, you're like, dang, he went 10 minutes over. At least you got Jesus, okay? So think about that. I mean, really, I mean, I get this is the thing that I'm going over on time, but this is the thing that we get is the gospel, okay? I want you to think about it. Whenever God sent Jesus, Jesus perfectly walked out the Imago Day in literally every single way that he, could liter- that he could walk it out. He perfectly upheld the law of God, walked out the image of God in literally every way. He was the only one that did not deserve separation from God. And yet, while he walked in perfection, the only way that we can be redeemed and brought back into relationship with Jesus is by him going to the cross. So then Jesus goes to the cross for our sin in our place as our substitute. But not only, this is important, not only for our sins, but for all of the effects of sin that I've mentioned today. Anything that you've ever done against someone else, anything that's ever been done for you, hear me now, not just the act of that sin, but the ripple effect of that sin. You tracking? That's so much more than Jesus died for sinners. That's true, but it's also bottom shelf. Okay, You're more valuable than that. You need to know more than that. And so what he does is he comes in for all the abuse and for all the sexual sin and for all of the everything that we can ever talk about here. He, when he goes to the cross, he feels and experiences all the effects of that sin into himself. He who knew no sin literally became sin, it says, for our righteousness so that we could take all of it to him. So for those of you that sit in the room and you go, man, I, just, I, just, I think I've done too much. He goes, you I'm doing it for everyone. You can't do too much. You cannot out the cross of Jesus, period. You got to know it, dude. Dude, you got to know it, church. Sorry. <laughs> the skater comes out every now and again. You got to know it. You got to know that. Like, that's doctrine of expiation. Doctrine matters. That's what we're doing in Mago Day. That's what we talk about, the doctrine of original sin. That's called the doctrine of expiation. It matters, church. It matters. He's the only one that gets it, dude. The uh, relation between man and man is broken, right? There's strife in Adam and Eve's life. There's strife in your life. Jesus' family killed him. Now, you think the church is full of hypocrites? You nailed it. It's church folk that killed Jesus. 
And I've said before, if you knew how, if you knew who you were sitting by right now, you would have locked your doors in the car on the way into the church. You most certainly would not put your purse between your feet. You with me? Like, yeah, we are hypocrites. Whenever we act as if we don't need Jesus, we're never called to perfection, church. Is the church going to hurt you? Yes. The church will hurt you like no one, and the church will also love you like no one's ever loved you. She is messy, and she is the bride. And the church killed Jesus. He allows the very people he came to save to kill him and sacrifice him. And he did it for their redemption. Tell me that's not backwards. Man versus creation. Jesus, literally, his body is obliterated on the cross and on the way to the cross. All of creation is distorted. In him is distorted, is abused, is ripped apart. All of the wrath of God that has come out on sin comes against Christ. This is what gives us freedom. This is what allows us to say, oh, I have sin, but as sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I don't have to beat myself up. I don't have to beat myself down. I do need to have a godly remorse and guilt that leads me to look at Jesus. If we want to know what habitual, willful sin gets you, you look at the cross of Christ. That's what it gets me. And yet, by God's grace, while even though he was completely obliterated, we then know two days later, what he, he resurrects from the grave. Happy Easter. Oh, I wish this was the Easter sermon, right? It's, not, it's good for more than just one Sunday, yes? Like, there's a resurrection hope that comes from Christ. We've been recreated. This is all under that third point, sorry. All under recreation. How do we get to recreate? And then think about this. It's so crazy that in the resurrection, he then sends us the Holy Spirit to do what? to perfectly image himself. Not because we are perfect, oh, but because Christ in us is perfect. We get to bear his image. Even when we're not bearing it appropriately, the Father looks at us through the lens of the Son and says, I will keep you and sustain you because of his work, not your own. The last one then, stand with me, is this man versus self. You guys go ahead and stand up. I'll take you to communion here. Adam and Eve did not know shame. They did not know fear. They did not know guilt. All they knew was innocence and perfection. And the reality is then whenever they rebelled against the Father, this is now what they know. They know is grace and mercy, but it's through the lens and filter of shame and embarrassment. It's through the lens of guilt. They have to fight to get back to grace and mercy even though he's promised them uh, the Son. And the reality is that's true for us today too. Okay, I... I'm not ignorant to sin. I'm woefully aware of it in my own personal life. But the beauty of the gospel is that while there is a real enemy that wants to keep you in fear and keep you in hiding, keep you in shame, there's simultaneously a very real Jesus that felt emotional angst, emotional compassion, sadness, and he didn't hide any of that but rather he hung out in the public completely exposed for everyone. Not so that we would keep everything in ourselves, in and of ourselves down here and try to pretend like everything is okay, but rather so that we would run to him as a good and loving father, just as he modeled to us in Genesis 3, his running towards Adam and Eve. So also we get to run towards the cross of Christ. And in so doing, listen, I'm not gonna make a promise that's not true. I'm not gonna tell you that when you come to faith, things get easy because that's wildly inaccurate. Sometimes it gets a lot more difficult because now you've got to watch the Spirit undo some things you've done. 
I'm not gonna tell you that all your depression or your anxiety or your sadness or your frustration will go away. It's not true. I am ridden with anxiety that leads to crippling retinal migraines. And I've been pretty active in the faith now for about 13 years. But what I will tell you is that there is a very real Jesus that hung for you, that resurrected for you, that sent you his spirit. And as I preached a few weeks ago, we'll get on his knees next to you and fully identify with you in your brokenness. And he will start to put you back together. And then in that, he promises that you will not only get to bear the image in light of his brokenness, bear, be an image bearer, even in the midst of that brokenness, that while the effects of sin will still affect you now, there is in fact a day coming where you get fully new glorified bodies. Do you know what those will represent? When you get a fully new, restored, glorified body, man, it will be the, Im- the Imago day in completion, the complete and total absence of sin. All this stuff with same sex, all this stuff with gender dysphoria, all this stuff with what is male, what is female, in that day, gang, we will know because we'll be perfectly complete in Christ by his work and by his work alone. The response for you today is to, to ask this, do you believe in that Jesus? Have you responded to that Jesus? He might not fix everything right now, but he, I guarantee you start putting you back together starting today. And so if you would, let me invite you to respond to the gospel of grace uh, today. Uh, for those of you that are in Christ, let me share with you what the Apostle Paul says. He said, for I, also, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Hmm. Keep in mind, the Apostle Paul was out murdering people whenever he came to faith. That's rooted too in the Imago Dei, yeah? For I received from the Lord what I also, a poor understanding of the Imago Dei. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you drink this, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The only one that ever perfectly walked out the Imago Dei forewent the Imago Dei on the cross for you so he could be resurrected anew. And so you could as well. So for those of you that are in Christ, this is a table that's open. For you, you don't have to be a member. You can be a guest as long as you proclaim and profess faith in Jesus as a meal, celebratory meal for you. As you make your way forward, you'll see the bread, which represents Christ's body broken for you. You'll see the cup, which represents Christ's blood spilt for you in your place as your substitute. You simply take a piece of bread and dip it into the cup. If you're uncomfortable with that, then there are packages of the same things up here that you may partake in as well. Amen.